0: You're listening to a podcast from 702.
1: Because this journey is better taken together. Let's walk the talk
2: 702.
0: It's 15 minutes past uh, one o'clock. And in this hour... We are going to look at an anthology, an anthology of 25 stories that has been told by 25 young South Africans aged 25 and younger, all of them living with HIV. Uh, got to look at some of the stories and they are told with just unflinching honesty Um, And the foreword of the book, uh, which is available for download and for free, by the way, uh, was written by former constitutional court judge and renowned um, HIV and AIDS activist, uh, Judge Edwin Cameron. He established this organization, uh, the the the, the HIV Consortium, in 1992. And the objective really was to promote a non-discriminatory response um to hiv and aids uh, based on people's basic human rights that are enshrined in our constitution and here we are all these years later 26 years into democracy south africa still has the highest proportion of uh, people living with HIV. And we have one of, we have uh, uh, the, the biggest program, um, HIV and AIDS program in the world. But we've also learned a lot of lessons over time we are in a different phase of um, the pandemic and uh, there have been massive lessons that have been learned along the way so it's going to be fascinating to hear from young people what we often describe as a, a born freeze in South Africa who are living with this virus and how they're making a change um, but first let's start by speaking to uh, Judy nowede who is the chair of the AIDS consortium and uh, she joins us just speaking on behalf of the organization i first want to get a sense of the really important work that they do and we'll take your calls because this is a vital conversation that we need to always amplify not just on world aids day but with every opportunity that we get
1: um judy lovely to to talk to you again it's been a while it has been a while and thank you so much for hosting the aids consortium together with Um, my young people who are contributors and they really drive the thrust of what's in the book Mm. because HIV is actually 40 years old this year in the early 80s 1980 1981 it was first discovered and then of course we as the AIDS consortium we are 28 years old and the idea for the book came from Uh, The fact that I was very concerned as the chairperson of the AIDS consortium and having been the creator and the founder of Love Life, that we have not adequately captured the history, Mm. this particular unique slice of history in South Africa. And also it was important for me that the history was told By the people who live with HIV every day, these 25 remarkable young people who have been living with HIV, which almost coincides uh, with the age of our democracy, Mm. and that they tell the story because for too long, Africa's story has been told. By people who are not Africans, and young people don't tell their own
0: stories. Yes, and I think that's what was so uh, moving about to this particular anthology—that you hear uh, people's real experiences, and through the eyes and the voices of uh, young people who uh, they have the zeal to change their reality, to change the world. Uh, and I think that's what was is so uplifting about this collection. But dealing with the HIV pandemic at a time when we are in the midst of another pandemic, COVID-19 must have presented a number of challenges as well. Are you uh, concerned, like President Sao Ramaphosa, that um, there is or there has been a risk to our ability to provide much needed services, that there's a danger uh, that HIV will fall by the wayside?
1: the the danger for hiv has always been for us to keep it on top of the agenda it's taken us nine years to bring this book to fruition because in the nine years i initially wanted to do the book for 16 days 16th of june 16 stories 16 young people when these young people were 16. but so many young people fell by the wayside because they were too afraid To have their identities revealed, even though we guaranteed anonymity, they felt that if for any reason their identities became public, they were afraid of the backlash. Because today, yet again, the single biggest fear a person with HIV once they disclose it's the fear of discrimination Mm -hmm. and the fear of what society and what our own communities in our own townships will do to us. So our young people that you have on the call today will tell you their stories. Mm. But I think over and above the fact that complacency has set in when it's come to HIV the domination and the attention that is being paid to COVID um, is not what was given when we fought for more than 25 years for HIV. But I think what is important for me is that we take the lessons from HIV because we behave as if COVID now needs a new response. When in fact, not only HIV, but gender-based violence and violence, we can use the lessons learned you know, we always say, "What is the teachable moment?" And the teachable moment for HIV has really been that there are three major issues that impact HIV, and that again presents when it comes to to, to COVID, mm. and that is the inequality in the healthcare system. So, throughout the thirty forty years of HIV, we have. We have shouted, worked around the issue of invest in health care, invest in your healthcare systems, because when disease presents, it is the rich who are able to access care and not the poor. So your fault lines around inequality becomes absolutely revealed, mm. and we see this in COVID. The whole of the fight around HIV was could we... Can we step up action to ensure that we can deal with pandemics and epidemics? And we see it now in front of us with COVID that the world yet after 40 years of fighting HIV has not been able to deal with a pandemic. And then, of course, we must step up um, leadership in healthcare Mm -hmm. and again we can learn from what we've done with HIV and in the 25 stories which cover five major themes um, is it's innocence it is disclosure Mm -hmm. and discovery violence intimacy and the most chilling collection of stories is how my mother died because we find that underpinning all these stories is violence either young people watching their fathers killed or their fathers killing or the community killing or the mothers are killed as a result of GBV and so that is a theme and i'm really hoping that our leadership will learn from our young people and the agency of young people that they have the power and it is young people that will change the face of GBV. And I always say, give me the boy before he becomes a man, give me the girl before she becomes a woman. And in my 30 years of working with HIV, in HIV around the world, it is young people that have changed their behaviour, and young people who have been able to drive a message, a message around how you can control what happens to you. Mm -hmm. Of course, when it comes to violence, because we have found uh, in my years of working um, as a gender activist, yes, I'm a corporate creature, but I'm a gender activist at heart, that in South Africa, often the first sexual encounter for young girls is a coerced encounter. Can I repeat that? The first sexual encounter for young girls is a coerced one, which means it is either through a violation where they have not said yes, Mm -hmm. where they are raped, when they are gang raped, and this then leads to them um, contracting the virus. Of course, excluding those who are born with HIV, like our two young girls who are going to share their stories to Becca and and, and to Mm.
0: Mm. And speaking of young people, um, you know, you touched on a number of issues. It's just so much that uh, clearly that has brought about a number of insights and lessons from the work that you've been doing. Uh, but we are seeing certain uh, uh, patterns emerging. Um, the, the president even noting that we're winning in the reduction of mother to child transmissions, but also that um, the highest population of new infections is the young people aged between 15 and 25. Uh, and we know that young women are particularly vulnerable um, and it is encouraging that we are seeing the uptake of pre-exposure prophylaxis amongst young women um, and and that there are interventions and they're starting to bear fruit because we are seeing these numbers uh, even though it's not enough declining over the the, the last decade.
1: Your observations around the success of the mother-to-child Uh, transmission program is one of the greatest successes of South Africa's political leadership after we emerge from the dark days, days of AIDS denialism. And so, of course, the uptake of young women around prophylaxis hinges on access to healthcare services. Mm. And if you're living on the banks of the Alexander River, one of our 12 year olds that was going to be in the book, who then didn't, uh, wasn't able to be uh, a storyteller in the book, she recounts um, how she would leave Um, the the riverbanks here in Alex. You know there are different communities in Alex. And she would then have to walk to the clinic, off getting to the clinic, the medications not there, getting to the clinic, uh, being subjected to all kinds of, of, again, gender-based violence. And so the abnormal, the pathology and the horror of GBV has become normalized in South Africa. In fact, many of the young women that we work with have accepted the fact that at some stage at the minimum they will be raped once what a horrific realization mm. and a mm. horrific way in which to grow up that we as 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 older women and um, we we've got our stories but this is about young people under 25 so the single biggest threat at the moment for south africa around hiv is what we call the youth bulge our young people between the ages of 15 to 24 we're seeing new infections And a phenomenon that men in South Africa have to confront uh, and confronted with a tremendous urgency and decide how they're going to change the way in which they live. Because we see our new infections, our new conversions coming through uh, intergenerational sex, older men, and I mean older men. Having sex with younger girls where the age gap is 20, 30 years. So that space of intergenerational, transactional sex is what is driving our new infections amongst young women. Mm-hmm. And this then is something that we can control and that we can change because surely any man over 40 listening to me needs to look at himself in that mirror. He he is one of the blessers today. And we know we have blessers who have multiple young women. So it's not just one blesser to one young girl. It's one blesser to multiple young girls. And they need to look at themselves in the mirror and seriously decide what role they want to play in the future of this country. Mm. And an added dynamic with these older men is they often are married. Mm-hmm. more cases
0: than none, they are married men. And therefore, that takes it into the home. So, uh, the, the, as you've painted, there are clear links between uh, poverty to unemployment, gender-based violence, and also HIV prevalence in our society. And it will take a multi-pronged approach, which is uh, part of the work that the AIDS Consortium does, because you talk to various organizations that are already active in this uh, uh, um, in this base in this fight against HIV and AIDS. Um, and so the, the, the work brings together uh, various arms to tackle this problem uh, because it, it, it presents from various uh, uh, angles like poverty, like unemployment and collectively we see the crisis that we
1: see. You know, and, and this is the dilemma and, and I become so emotional and I get goosebumps because the AIDS consortium after a history of working in community, and I want to stress in community, we don't do hashtag campaigns. There is a place and a space for that. But the reality of our communities in South Africa is you have to work on the ground. And I say this all the time, this is the work that is not seen, this is the work that is not celebrated, and this is the work that's not sexy. Because in the 29 years of the AIDS consortium's existence, we are about to close. And as the outgoing chair, I had shared with my board hmm. that is that if there is one thing only one action that we have to complete, we then have to tell the story oh, of our 25 young people mm. who represent in excess of 2 million young people so that these stories, mm. when they lie awake at night in either a shack or in an RGP house, or in a township, or in a suburb, that when they get their hands on this book, as they go through the different chapters in the book, they will draw strength from these 25 stories. Yeah. Because we have not been able to access funding. We approach our funders where there was a little bit of money left, and we have used that money to ensure That as we leave 25 years of democracy, we can leave this dark phase of our country with 25 phenomenal stories of 25 young people that come from Umlazi, from Daviton, from Delft, a very rough uh, uh, neighborhood in Cape Town, where one of our young men was actually raped and sodomized by a group of men. And that's how he contracted HIV at the age of 16. Mm. But as you read these stories, you will cry and you will smile because the resilience and yeah. the power of yeah. young people who are our future will come through the pages. And you will know that as older people, we have to leave these young people with the world
2: that they are deserving
1: of
0: yes and I, so, hope, how, um, I hope that hope not this funding yes and I hope that rescue comes and that this work is able to continue uh, Judy thank you for coming on to uh, just lay the foundation before we speak to the young people who've contributed their stories to the 25 strong story anthology that is titled young gifted and positive uh, we'll take your reactions to that chat with Judy Nokwedi, who is the chairperson of the AIDS consortium just framing the work they do uh, the, the chat Challenges that we're still confronted with when it comes to the fight against HIV and AIDS. And after this, you will hear from Nicholas and Tobega. You're with Azania Mosaka
2: seven oh
0: 23 minutes to uh, two o'clock uh, today South Africa is commemorating World AIDS Day and and this is under the theme we're in this together so official proceedings happening right now in Soweto uh, but we're having a different sort of conversation we're looking at an anthology of stories um that published and made available by the AIDS Consortium uh, and this is an organization an NGO that was founded established in 1992 28 years ago. By former Constitutional Court judge and renowned AIDS activist Judge Edwin Cameron, he wrote the foreword. In fact, and in it you will find the stories of twenty-five young people, twenty-five of twenty-five years of age and under, and they give an account of just details of their lives living with hiv and the stories are told in a truly uh unflinching and very very honest way it'll move you um as judy said you will cry you will smile um and you will really get to uh get a sense of um the, the what is at the heart and what is the motivation for uh the young people who dec- who have decided to come forward and tell us uh, what they have lived through. So let's connect with um, Nicholas, Nicholas Marks, who is a 24-year-old. He is um, a law student and an HIV and human rights
3: activist.
0: Nicholas, does that encapsulate you, um, that brief little summary? Does it capture you?
3: Good day, Albania. Thank you for having me on your show. Uh, Yes, it does, I think.
0: (laughs) I know there's a whole lot more which we will be unpacking in a short (laughs) while. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So why did you decide to speak out?
3: So I decided to speak out on the issues of HIV and AIDS affecting young people because I feel that HIV is one of those topics that have been hidden in our communities mostly because of the stigma that is associated with living with HIV. And often in our black communities, we find that whenever you are diagnosed, then it is said that either you are promiscuous or it's some form of punishment. But it is not the case. And HIV and AIDS ought to be normalized and seen as a normal condition um, that can be, you know, by anyone, anyone can 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 get HIV and AIDS. Mm-hmm. So the whole idea was to destigmatize and really make young people to come forward and you know own up to their status and just be comfortable about who they are.
0: Yes. So have have you dealt with discrimination uh, a lot in your journey and how how did you deal with it?
3: Well, Alvania, um HIV is stigmatized wherever. And I'd say even in spaces where you wouldn't imagine to be stigmatized. Mm-hmm. For example, I'll give you an example whereby I was in the clinic uh, just before I got my results. And, you know, when they got out, the, the nurses were busy gossiping amongst themselves. And um, some were even laughing in the corridors. So um, for me as a person who knows that chances are I am HIV positive. Uh, well, it, it was devastating. So, yes, we, we, we do face discrimination, we do face stigma. So, yes, it's it's something that we still need to fight in our communities.
0: Mm. And as you say, even in spaces where one should expect to find support and comfort, uh, you still oh. get the sort of, of discrimination. But you're not someone to take it lying down. Uh, um, I have it on good authority that you're very vocal, that you, you stand up for yourself.
3: Uh, Yes, uh, Zania, I'd like to believe so, (laughs) because I feel that, you know, if if you do not own up to, you know, your rights as a human being, then uh, they will keep on being trampled upon, and that we do not want. Mm -hmm. I mean, the Constitution guarantees everyone um, the right not to be discriminated against on the basis of their health status. So I think it's very pivotal to really uh, be outspoken about such issues and not be discriminated against on the basis of your health status. Yes,
0: yes. And it's not an easy road getting to a place of a place where you are vocal, where you can challenge people uh, when they discriminate or treat you unfairly. It, it must take some time to, to own that voice.
3: It sure does. You know, um, it took me some time to speak out about HIV. I'd say it's a journey. Because um, at one point you are in a depressed setting, you don't want to hear from other people, you don't want to reach out, but then you get to realize that you can't be in this deep hole. At some point you have to come out, at some point you have to be uh, someone who uplifts others and say it is okay to live um, with this condition of HIV. So it's important for young people to be outspoken about it, to know that they are not supposed to be discriminated against on the basis of their health status.
2: Tell me
0: about that encounter that you had with um, Judge Edwin Cameron, um, when you were still, as you describe, you know, going through some of the emotions that uh, one will will likely go through, you know, depressed at at some stage. Uh, There was a point when you were suicidal um, and you had this encounter, which continued, which helped to give you hope. Uh, can you please repeat the question? I'm not sure I get no, I'm saying your encounter, your first encounter with um, Judge Edwin Cameron.
3: <clears throat> yes. Uh, well, i said say as an, uh, um, meeting giants uh, in the HIV and AIDS industry, such as uh, Edwin Cameron, has been one of the most remarkable moments ever. And um, when I look up to him and I see him own up to his status, own up to his own sexuality as a gay man, um, I think uh, it, there are so many challenges that we face in our communities and you know stigma comes in many forms and hence we need to stand up as young people and say enough with discrimination, enough with the stigma that we are often faced with. Mm. So, yes, um, I'd say it was very humbling. It was a humbling and wonderful experience to have met him.
2: Mm. So, um
0: Let's talk about your upbringing. Where did you grow up? Where was home? Just tell us your, your life uh, and uh, and upbringing.
3: Okay, so um, I grew up in the Northwest. I think I spo- I spent most of my um, my childhood there. Um, in the early years, I, I, I stayed there with my grandmother. And um, up until the age of nine years, when I came to stay beside in Soweto permanently with, my mother, my biological mother. So um, it was during that time in 2004 when um, my mother passed on that very same year when I came to stay with her. And a couple of years later, um, because now my grandmother had to step in and be the guardian, um, then I discovered that I'm actually HIV positive and we couldn't understand. Imagine staying with a 70 year old grandmother who could not understand why you're so ill all the time so um it was quite a journey uh and she has been with me throughout this journey and um mm-hmm. yes um I, I i went through the whole process of uh treatment adherence and all of that up until such a time where you know i, I, I could say i have fully recovered and she has been with me throughout the journey
2: Mm,
0: So having that kind of support and acceptance and love at home Would you say then gives you courage to contend with what the rest of the world might say?
3: Well, Azania, it's very important for young people to be accepted in their own safe spaces such as homes Because, you know, um, that is where you find warmth, that is where you find protection and all So, um, yes, uh, I got the love, I got the support from my dear sisters, my grandmother, and my brothers. So yes, um, I found it here, and um, they motivated me to take my medication, to adhere to treatment. Mm-hmm. You know, they would find alternative ways of me, uh, you know, to to have a healthy diet put off. So um, they, they've tried many ways to make sure that I stay on treatment, I stay healthy, but most of all, I am accepted, not just here at home, but then I can even, conca The outside world, so they've played a very
0: great role in my life Yes, yes Uh, Mm. We'll come back to the work that you're doing at the moment, Nicholas, because it's also in aid of other young people Uh, the positive campaign Mm. um, and of Mm. course your legal studies and what you hope to do with them. Stay with us, Nicholas Now let's also say hello to uh, Tobega. Tobega is 18 years old and she's finished matric and she got a bachelor's pass Hi Tobega
4: (laughs) Hi, Alanya. Thank Congratulations. You,
0: Alanya. Thank you. What are your plans now that you've finished um, matric with this pass?
4: So my plan was to go all-pairing, um, but, you know, COVID happened, so yeah. our plans have changed. And I've actually started my own organization with a really good friend of mine, Uh, Where we're doing sewing And it's going well so
2: far
4: Mm, mm. (laughs) You moved to
0: Joburg But originally uh, You spent some of your formative years In KwaZulu-Natal Take me through your your time there And growing up in KZN
4: Um, So I'd say for me it was It was a sort of confusing time Because I grew up with like my grandmother And my extended family Like my aunts, my yeah, yeah, my aunts, my cousins, and everything. Mm. But my mom wasn't like fully in the picture, uh, and my dad, I never knew my dad, so I didn't really have my biological parents there. My mom would come visit like once a year, twice a year, uh, and then she'd come back to Joburg. Um And my, t- I remember the times in Johannesburg. I mean in sorry, in Catherine, I'd get like sick often, but it wasn't like serious, and like I love my grandmother, I love my family, like they raised me well, but yeah, it was a difficult time. Mm-hmm. you also like faced uh bullying from people, like the fact that you don't have parents. Uh, living with you. Like I I remember getting teased on that, so that was hard. Yes. But my grandmother made it all, you know, special. So mm. yeah. Yeah, heaven <laughs>
0: must have a, a a a special place for grandmothers just yeah. listening to Nicholas's story and your story, talking yeah. about the love and the warmth that was provided by your grandmothers. Um mm-hmm. and then you moved to Johannesburg. Do you remember the very first time you found out about your HIV status?
4: Oh, so, in 2011, I was at school, and I got sick. Uh, I had to be taken to hospital, where I found out that I had meningitis at that time.
2: Mm.
4: And when I came out of the hospital, I started taking medication, and I took medication until like 2015, and I didn't know why I was taking the medication. Like, I would ask my mom, but she would say, it's to prevent the meningitis coming back, you know? So, um, uh, one day I stopped taking my medication completely uh, for two weeks because I was like, why am I taking these medications if I don't know why I'm taking them? Mm. Uh, so my mom found out, and then she was very disappointed. And, yeah, she told me, like, yeah, I totally have uh, HIV, but she didn't, like, explain fully. And then uh, she told me, it was about two, two three years ago, I think, Uh, We had a New Year's party and, yeah, she got a little drunk Um, and she told me that, yeah, she told me like her whole story Mm. of how she got raped when she was 16 uh, and how she contracted HIV from that and how I was born with HIV. So that's how I found out.
0: Yes. Was it difficult news to receive?
4: Um, I think I, I appreciated like the clarity and everything, mm-hmm. uh, like knowing the actual reason, and not having uh, any more questions about like my father. Um, but I felt depressed at first. Mm-hmm. But uh, if you if you put yourself in her shoes, that it was out of her control, uh, she couldn't do anything about it, and we can't go back to change the few. The,
0: The past, so yes, yes. So there's a lot more uh, compassion for each other. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. Like
4: I think it's even like. Got us like closer together, you know. Yes, yes,
0: yeah. You know, it's a point that Nicholas was making as well that so often, and the truth is that our discrimination is so unfounded because we judge people for contexts and situations that were not <laughs> in their control, um, yeah. and we label them as bad, as promiscuous, as, as drug users, or whatever the, the negative label might be without really knowing uh the, the the context or the situation and something that could have happened to anyone in fact um so great courage in her being able to 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 share that with you um yeah and how is life now you know you are on the verge of being a young adult um you are living with your mom now after not living with no. her for for the early part of your life how would you describe your world now well uh so
4: let me just correct you on that um I don't live with my mom. Ah. I I see her, like, very often. Okay. I live with my guardians, who I met when I came to Johannesburg, because my mom and dad were working for them. Mm.
2: Uh,
4: So I currently live with them, and I switch places between my mom and them. Mm. Um, Yeah.
0: And the work that you're doing, because you've since decided to, to serve and be involved in the in work that is being done by the likes of the AIDS Consortium. You're starting your own organization. Um, what kind of work are you doing to help other young people?
4: Um, so, Nicholas, Andy, Prince and I have been actually talking for quite a few years now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have tried to start like an, organiza- an organization called Hashtag Positive, which is um, to help young people like us, like overcome speak- uh, stigma and to just teach people on HIV. Like you don't even have to be like a negative uh, HIV positive person for you to learn about HIV, you know, mm.
2: like
4: open your mindset, uh, grow your mindset. Yeah, so that's what we've been doing. Uh, yeah,
0: you—you <laughs> you know, I just remembered from your story that you—you uh, you want you, you your schooling experience in high school. Uh, no,
4: primary school I'm sorry
0: was it was it was primary school, and then in yeah. high school you also did a play around hiv what what was your encounter with your fellow learners, whether in primary <laughs> or high school like because you ended up uh, disclosing at school, which is incredibly brave topic, yeah,
4: so in primary school um, I didn't open up to anyone because my primary school had, like, a very different idea on HIV. Like, if you had HIV, you were going to die. They made songs about it, as you probably have read in the book. Mm. Um, so it was really hard to, like, open up to anyone at school. And in high school, yes, I did write a play. But the people that I was directing, the acting crew, they didn't really know <laughs> what it was about, Um I only told them, like, later on, like, hey, guys, so this is my story. Like, it's really close to heart. And, yeah, I think that made them, like, really, it just taught them something. Mm -hmm. Because they were, like, yeah, at the beginning, they were, like, oh, this is interesting. It's very, like, educational and everything. But they didn't know that it's, like, sort of, like, my story as well. Mm. And I remember, like, one of the judges was, like, I'm very brave for actually like telling out my story because th- there was like a big audience. And I did come out to people at school um, my teachers, my classmates, and everyone. So they all know. Mm. um And it was all positive responses. I never really got any negative responses, but I'm sure in primary school. If I came out, I would
0: have gotten negative responses, I'm not sure. Yes, yes, because uh, there was a song that would be sung that uh, yeah. vilified HIV-positive uh, yeah. HIV people. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, Nicholas, the cost of disclosing, you know, because this isn't an easy thing for anyone to do. Um, the, no. the cost of disclosing can be uh, uh, quite heavy. Tobega's story is is different to that of others who <laughs> may have lost friendships or who may have been ostracized in society. Uh, that is true,
3: uh, Um Let me uh, inform even the listeners that, you know, um coming out um, as a person living with HIV it, it's it doesn't happen overnight you 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 have to get the courage to do it uh, from time to time and um, it, it took me some time to actually tell people about it mm. um, I wasn't comfortable about it because you, you know it, it kind of affects your self-esteem so it took me some time but You know, I managed to get there. And uh, today I can proudly say that, you know, I don't have to hide it anymore. I don't have to hide my medication to anybody because, you know, I was born like this.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, um, we look forward to the stories that are told, the 25 stories really being widely read. Um, and I think it's a good thing. It's a wonderful thing that the book is available uh, free for download, by the way. Young, Gifted and Positive is available as a free downloadable ebook as of today, the 1st of December. And everyone who's infected with or affected by HIV and AIDS is welcome to download a copy. And if you have a friend or a relative, or anyone that you know with HIV uh, um, just, this is something you can pass on to help to give them that courage as these uh, young people share their stories so you can log on to younggiftedandpositive.com that is the URL younggiftedandpositive.com to access your complimentary copy, it is free for download that was Tobegam kize and Nicholas Marks, the young people who uh, contributed their stories as part of this Anthology, Young, Gifted and Positive.